really glad to be here this morning and to be opening up God's Word with you together and, and worship Christ together from Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 20 through 30. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we're going to be today. Um, I'm Matt. If you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll take a look at the text. Father, we, uh, we come to you now, and we ask that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies, uh, not to our own selfish gain, that you would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things. We ask, God, that you would open our eyes to see the wonders of your testimonies in your word today. And we ask, God, that you would unite our hearts that are so divided in so many ways, that you would unite our hearts to yours so we can worship you clearly this morning. And would you satisfy us? Would you, would you fill us up this morning as we uh, look at this text and we look at your word and we worship you this morning? Thank you, Jesus. And I ask for your help now, God. Uh, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have you uh, ever tried to help someone and like you tell them, hey, you, sh- you probably shouldn't do that. You're gonna, it's, th- these are the consequences. You're going to get in trouble, especially with children. A lot of times it's like, hey, if you, if you do that, uh, you're going to get hurt. And they do it anyway, and they get hurt. And then you go, you go to them to try to help them, and they, they misunderstand like what you're trying to do. And they, they reject your help. And in fact, I don't know if you've experienced this with other people or your own children. I know I have with mine that they actually fight, fight me. So it's like I'm going in to help you like you're hurt. I know you're hurt and I want to be there for you. But like, I mean, you're throwing punches at me, bro. And I can't like I can't I can't help you like this. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your own life with people that you go do to try to help. And, and then you get this attack back at you. And it's very similar of what's happening today in this uh, text uh, to, to Jesus. He is being attacked and he is coming in. And, and in fact, since the beginning of time, God has tried to warn his people of sin and has tried to pursue his people to bring them back to himself over and over and over again. He has been persistent to do that. And today we get to see that once again, his persistence. And this reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And it's my prayer today that we would be reminded that Jesus is powerful and loving enough to forgive all those who repent. So as we approach this text, um, uh, we, uh, we, as we've been walking through Mark, we've been seeing different responses to Jesus from the crowds, from the Pharisees, from his disciples. And today we're going to look at three specific uh, groups of people, the crowds and, <clears throat> and the Pharisees and then his family as well today. And so today, all three of these groups of people misunderstand Jesus. The crowds misunderstand him. His family misunderstands him. The scribes misunderstand him. And they're all in danger of rejecting him. They're in danger of rejecting Jesus for their own selfish desires. 
And of these three groups today, we barely, it barely mentions the crowds in the text, and it barely mentions his family in the text. We have a large portion of his interaction with the scribes. But it's important for us to realize what Mark is doing in the text because he's sandwiching this uh, interaction with the scribes right between his family and the crowds. So he talks about the crowds, he talks about his family, and then you have this interaction with the scribes, which takes up a pretty big chunk of what we're going to talk about today. And then uh, when we pick up Mark again after Easter, uh, you'll also pick up the, uh, we'll also discuss the family and the crowds again. So uh, Mark is trying to make something very specific, a very specific point here with this interaction with the scribes. And so we'll be, uh, it'll be wise for us to pay close attention to what that point is and I will assert to you that, that that is that self-seeking sinners can be rescued by the power of God. Self-seeking sinners can be rescued by the power of God. And we're going to answer that today by asking how? By the faithfulness of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, and by surrendering to Jesus. I'll say that again. The faithfulness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the surrendering to Jesus That's how sinners can be forgiven. First, let's take a look at the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm going to read for us verse 20 through 21. Then he went home, and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went in to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons." The crowds, again, were amazed by Jesus, but were only thinking about their short-sighted, selfish desires. They'd gathered around him because they were excited about him. They gathered around him in such a way that he could not even eat. He, he, they, were, they were so crowded around him, and they, they didn't have concern for him as a person. They didn't have concern for his mission. They were obstructing his mission. They didn't understand his messianic mission or his messianic message, and they didn't care about his basic needs. And then we see that his family enters the picture here. The crowds misunderstand his goal, and they were selfish, but they did not pose a direct opposition. The first direct opposition comes from his own family. They may have been concerned about his health, or they may have been concerned uh, They may have been genuinely concerned about his health, or they may have just been trying to cover up their own reputation. They didn't want this word to get out about uh, their family member who's attracting these crowds and is opposing the scribes and the Pharisees. Most likely that's what was happening. We're not for sure, but regardless, they were opposing his uh, mission. They didn't want to go rally behind him. They wanted to go round him up and sit him down and tell him to stop. So they were in direct opposition to what he was trying to do. And Jesus was not willing to be part. um, He was not willing to to stop. He was not willing to be sidetracked. He was going to continue on his mission. The family fears were realized when the scribes finally showed up from the capital city of Jerusalem. They had been sent as the legal uh, and the theological specialist of their day. Not to fact check, but to fight. They were there to fight. They were on the inside of the religious groups, but Jesus was not on the inside of their group. Jesus was creating his own definition of who's on the inside and who's on the outside, as we'll see when we pick up Mark um, after Easter. They wanted someone to come and be good like they were good. 
They had all the rules of what it meant to be good down, and they wanted someone to come in and meet all their expectations and lead them out of bondage from the Romans and then give them their land back so they could continue you know, in their goodness. But Jesus wasn't part of that system. He was unwilling. He, he had a mission to go to the cross, and he was unwilling to be a part of their religious system. And as we continue to learn through Mark and in today's text, Jesus was very adamant about his, his desire to go to the cross. Very adamant that he was not going to be a part of their system. When Jesus didn't fit their expectations, they attacked. They attacked first by accusing him of being controlled by Satan. The name Beelzebul is simply the prince of all demons. Satan. Beelzebul has several similarities to pagan gods in the Old Testament, but there's no direct connection to one particular god or one particular situation. And from reading the text, we should just simply conclude this is Satan. They're saying that Jesus is controlled by Satan. And this attack was not a one-time accusation, but was an ongoing attack. The, the verb saying in verse 22 and in verse 30 is the imperfect tense, meaning that the accusation was ongoing. They were trying to make sure everyone knew what they thought about Jesus. They were trying to mar his character by, by claiming that he, had, that he uh, had some sort of special relationship with Satan and not with God. The crowds His family and the scribes had all selfish desires that kept them from understanding the person and the purpose of Jesus. Just like the child who I mentioned earlier who is hurt and refuses your help, that's what's happening here. Excitement about Jesus and association with Jesus and even knowledge about Jesus is not the same as surrendering to Jesus. And maybe you find yourself today like one of these groups. Have you misunderstood Jesus? Are you focused on your own expectations and your own desires rather than just surrendering to him? Are you missing what he's calling you to in your life? And he's calling you to take your eyes off of yourself and place them on him. Listen to him, follow him and surrender to him. And we should be encouraged by this text by the faithfulness of Jesus, because I thank God that he did not stop when people were misunderstanding him. I don't know, for me, it might have been really easy. It's easy to throw in the towel and give up when people don't understand what you're trying to do. Even going to the child, it's like, okay, you don't want my help? You know, it's like, well, I told you so. You know, it's real easy to have that type of attitude. But Jesus was not willing to do that. He was faithful to his mission. And even despite the misunderstandings and despite the attacks, he was so loving and so gracious as we will find as we continue to walk through this text. Jesus was not distracted. He was not derailed. He was not deterred from his divine destiny. He stayed focused and he stayed faithful. He was willing to sacrifice everything for this cause. The cause of saving selfish sinners. Everything, even his very life, he was willing to give for this. So self-seeking sinners can be saved by the faithfulness of Jesus and by the power of Jesus. Let's look at verse 23 through 27. And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. I love how uh, Jesus responds here. I just love it. Because um, it would be so easy to fight back like, and, and just, just go at them. I mean, he had great knowledge and great wit. Like he could have easily have done that. But do you see the love and the tender care of Jesus? He calls them to, he calls them. He says, come here, I want to I talk to you. And he doesn't call them to him to debate them. He doesn't call them to fight. He calls them because he, he, he wants to find some level ground. So he, that's why he talks in parables. He's talking in parables because he wants to sneak in. He wants to give the sneak attack. You know, it's like, again, when your child is hurt or someone is hurt, sometimes you got to find that sneak attack. For us, it might be a treat, you know, so that you can like, so you can help the child. It might be a show. I don't, I don't know what, what goes on, but there are plenty of things you can do to try to, try to get, try to um, calm that child. So then you can go in and administer uh, whatever kind of healing that needs to be, bandaging that needs to be done. I mean, I'm thinking, you can probably have a lot of scenarios. I'm thinking about Drops that goes in ear. I mean, I've had to hold down. I've had to hold down quite a few children and distract quite a few children to like get them to take uh, any sort of medicine or, or to help them. And Jesus is demonstrating that type of tender care here when he's talking to these scribes. First, Jesus explains that if Satan acted against himself in this way, his kingdom or his house would not be able to stand. Just I don't I'm not going to have I don't have to explain that a lot here. It's basically, you know, if there's conflict in the house, there's civil war in the house and the kingdom, it's going to fall. And then it also doesn't make any sense because why would Satan cast out like why would he be do why would he do something so gracious and so kind to like cast out a demon to 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 liberate someone from the control of Satan in their life? Why would he do that? So Satan kind of uh, not I'm sorry, it's not Satan. Jesus kind of uh, dismisses um, their arguments. But people are being liberated and not by Satan, but by Jesus. There's not a war within the ranks, but Jesus is on the offense. Satan's kingdom is going to fall from a stronger enemy. We know Satan is strong because we've all been or are currently enslaved to sin. We, the goods spoken of here, are held captive. We've willingly entered into this house. We've willingly sinned. We have willingly allowed ourselves to be captives to sin and to Satan. Unable to break free. Satan holds us captive, accusing us of our sin. Reminding us of our sin. Satan desires to hold us captive in this life and eternal death in the next only someone stronger than us can come in and enter his kingdom and rescue us and plunder the goods. The binding here is a reference not to Jesus' literal or even theological act of exorcism, 
This is not an interpretation on exorcism. This is not a description of casting out demons. This is not an application of casting out demons. This is salvation. It's, it's, it's not interpretation, description, or application. This is eternal salvation we're talking about here. That's why he's giving this parable. He's trying to wake them up to his eternal salvation that he wants to offer through his message and through his life. Only someone more powerful, filled with the Spirit of God, can bind Satan and plunder his goods. Remember John the Baptist who announced that there would be one who comes after him more powerful than him? Well, this one is also more powerful than Satan. All right, So he can plunder his house. He can rescue you from whatever pit of sin that you find yourself in. And as, as deep a hole as you think you're in and as captive as you think you are, Jesus can bind Satan and rescue you. He can do that. He is powerful enough to do that. And how does he do that? You don't have to stay captive in this house because he is powerful. You don't have to be a victim of death. The death that comes from your sin in this life and the eternal death that results from sin. Jesus has the power to liberate because of his perfect life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection. Jesus can free you from the eternal consequences of sin. You no longer have to be held captive in his house. Satan no longer needs to be the accuser of you. You... you you, you don't have to listen to him. You can be set free. Self-seeking sinners can be saved by the faithfulness of Jesus and by the power of Jesus, but it is urgent that we surrender to Jesus. Self-seeking sinners can be saved by surrendering to Jesus. Let's read verse 28 and 30. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. The phrase here, truly, I say to you, or amen, I say to you, is strictly used by Jesus throughout all Jewish literature, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is a phrase reserved strictly for Jesus. And it's, 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 it's shocking because amen is usually used, as most of us use it, if someone says something that we, we agree with. So there's someone else saying something, we're agreeing with it, and we say, hear, hear. Or we say, amen. We say, I agree. That's, that's what usually it's used for. But Jesus is... He, someone else is not speaking, he's speaking, and he's saying it before he speaks. So he, he's letting everybody know, I, I am the true witness of God. What I am about to say is true, which is really interesting in context that the scribes are there who were supposed to be the theological uh, specialist and the legal specialist of their day. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm the true witness. I'm the one filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm about to say something that is quite shocking. And it is shocking, folks. There are two shocking things about this statement. There's a shocking warning and there's a shocking encouragement here. First, let's take a look at the warning. Blasphemy. Blasphemy is to insult or mock or doubt the power of God. And this blasphemy spoken of here, specifically to the scribes about the Holy Spirit, 
is the conscious and deliberate and continual rejection of the saving power of God through Jesus. It's the conscious, deliberate, and continual rejection of the saving power of God through Jesus. And you say, well, it says Holy Spirit. How do you get to Jesus? They were rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yes. But the primary work of the Spirit has always been to make Jesus known. Jesus was filled with the one and only Spirit of God. Throughout his entire life, there are countless references to how Jesus was filled with the Spirit. So to reject the Holy Spirit was to reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus was to reject the Holy Spirit. There is an eternal draw of God in our hearts that we feel, but there is also an external work of God throughout history and specifically in Jesus Christ. The blasphemy here is a continual denial of that work of Jesus and a rejection of God's call. The blasphemy of the scribes was, again, continuously deliberate rejection of God. This was not a one-time rejection. So in a way, at least for me, when I'm reading this text, that, that I'm tempted when I understand it that way to, to be relieved a little bit. Whew. That's not me. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I'm not continually rejecting God. I'm not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But as we understand this a little more clearly, it's actually a little bit more frightening than it even first appears. At least that was my experience as I'm reading this and studying this. The more you think about what this passage means, especially in context, an even stronger warning emerges. All sin in some way is a rejection of God, right? We just talked about that. The simple definition of blasphemy is to insult, mock, or doubt the power of God. Who? I mean, we've all done that, right? So in some way, all sin is a rejection of God. In some way, we've all doubted and rejected God. This is, this is Mark's point because he places this interaction with the scribes between the interaction with his family and the interaction with the crowds. They've all misunderstood Jesus and trying to divert him from his primary aim. When we reject the truth and selfishly try to make Jesus meet our own desires, our hearts become hard and you could end up eternally condemned. It's not that this sin or any other sin is unforgivable. Don't hear me say that. God can forgive all sin. But when we choose to make ourselves, we, we choose to make ourselves unrepentable. I'll say that again. We're, it's not that God can, it's not that we're unforgivable, but we can choose to make ourselves unrepentable. Every time a person rejects God, their hearts become harder and more in danger of this eternal sin. The crowds were excited about Jesus. His family was obviously familiar with him and the scribes should have known a lot about him. But they were all blinded by their own selfish desires. They were not willing to surrender to Jesus as he was and wanted to meet their own selfish desires. Excitement about Jesus, association with Jesus, and knowledge of Jesus is not the same as surrendering to Jesus. 
The more that child that we spoke about earlier rejects your help, the worse the wound gets. The worse the infection gets, the splinter gets, the ear infection gets. The more they reject it, the worse it gets. The same thing with our hearts. The more we reject God, the harder our hearts become. He can forgive sin. There's no sin he can't forgive. But we continually choose to make our hearts less repentable. But friends, there's hope. There is hope. This is the shocking warning that we all need to make sure and be aware of. But there is a shocking encouragement here. The shocking encouragement is the good news of the gospel. Remember in this verse, he says at the beginning of, of, of the, this verse that I read, he says, all blasphemy, whatever blasphemies they utter, says all sins will be forgiven to the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. So it's not like there's one, this one little thing that you say and do, and then it's like you're done and you're unforgivable. That's not what he's saying. The warning is more deeper. It's more about the heart. But also the, the, the shocking forgiveness is, is the gospel can go that deep. It, it, it is that powerful. It is that amazing. I'm reminded of 1 John first, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there are great examples throughout the Bible. Two that I think of right, just are Paul and Peter. Paul was, uh, he, he himself said he was a blasphemer. He hated Christians and he was killing Christians. And Peter got in the way of Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, you don't, you don't really want to go to the cross. And Jesus says, well, get behind me, Satan. And then later on, Peter denies Jesus. But yet, Paul and Peter become crucial to the early church because Jesus can forgive. He is powerful enough to do that. Self-seeking sinners can be forgiven by the faithfulness of Jesus. Self-seeking sinners can be forgiven by the power of Jesus. And self-seeking sinners can be forgiven by surrendering to Jesus. What should shock us the most is that God is willing to forgive sin and any blasphemy. This is so contrary to how we act or think. When that child or that person rejects your help, and, and then you go in again, like most of the time our attitude is not like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of a creative way to help them. Most of the time it's like, Pfft. but this is amazing that, you know, throughout the ages, people have blasphemed and rejected God, but he is still willing to go after them. He's willing to come from, leave his home in heaven to come to this earth. And as we're going to travel through this week, he is willing to walk all the way to a cross. Let me try to summarize this passage for you in just one sentence that was helpful for me. This is as if Jesus was talking and he says, I can forgive any sin, even any kind of blasphemy. But if you continue in your defiant rejection of the Holy Spirit's call to submit to me, your heart will continue to become hard and you will not be able to repent and have to face eternal consequences. And you might be here today and you might be saying, well, I'm not sure if I've 
committed that sin. And I have two encouragements for you. One is if you're wrestling with that and you think maybe I have committed that sin, that is evidence that you have not committed the sin. Because the sin is that your heart is so hard that you're willing to look at the work of God and say, that's the work of Satan. And so if you're wrestling this morning, then that's evidence that you have not committed that sin, that your heart is not that hard. And so then my second encouragement to you would be then repent, like surrender to Christ, repent of your sin and run to him. He is powerful enough to rescue you from your sin. God desires to forgive and is willing to forgive, but we can reject his forgiveness. God's able to forgive any sin if you repent, but if you don't repent, he can't forgive any sin. So repent of your sin. Do not be like the child who misunderstands and rejects help. Surrender to Jesus today and he is able to rescue you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word you have given us. Thank you for being persistent to pursue us despite our sin, despite um, our blasphemy against you. You um, have done a great work uh, in your son, Jesus. And we want to just worship you now uh, because of that. Would you uh, would you lead us? Amen.